Welcome to the Heavenly Banquet, where the hungry are filled with good things. I'm Charlotte. I'm Chad. Hey, Chad. We talked a little bit about... We talked a little bit about talking a little bit about the Nicene Creed. So we're going to look at it in three sections, kind of as it pertains to the first person of the Trinity, the second, and the third. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, and just see if we can unpack this. And so our first episode, this episode, starts with what seems like such a little portion. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, at first glance, I was like, oh. <laughs> what are we, we going to talk about? <laughs> and then I went, <clears throat> oh, <laughs> I see some things. So here's, for reference, the portion we're going to look at. This is the way the creed is found in the Book of Confessions for the Presbyterian Church USA, which is the context that Chad and I both work in. So it may be slightly different from the version of the creed that you may profess in worship. So here it goes. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. Chad, first thoughts. Well, when I was looking at this, I I was thinking of it. Of course, there's a context for why this creed was developed, but I was thinking of it mostly in terms of, you know, what are the implications for us and for our faith, mm-hmm. uh, given these beliefs? You know, we believe in one God. Clearly, that's um, declaring monotheism, right? One God. Mm-hmm. But I think um, for the purposes of, you know, lived faith, I think the idea that God is one goes further than simply denying polytheism or that we worship many gods mm. or three gods. For instance, the eternal nature of God is one. Mm. So whatever we can say of God is eternal and unchanging. So if we say God is love, that never changes. God always has been love, always will be love. If God is good, God always has been, always will be. And along those lines, there's no contradiction in God, right? So there's no contradiction between God's justice and God's mercy or God's goodness. Um, Those are all one. Mm -hmm. Um, We often talk about the attributes of God, say God's justice or goodness or God's love or what have you, that those are essential to God. Um, They're unchanging. And ultimately, they're all one. Uh, I don't know if maybe we need to unpack that. But I think the other thing to say here, given what 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 we're t- what we're declaring later on in this section in terms of God being creator and so on that the divine intention in creating is one mm. that it doesn't change that God's purposes for creating will be sustained until God achieves whatever it is God intends to achieve by creating I don't know if that makes sense can you say a little bit more about that about the divine intention in creating yeah well, eventually where I hope to get is that, you know, God creates a good creation 
to bring things to fulfillment. I mean, as we, when we get to the second part, you know, to bring about the kingdom and so on, that that doesn't change. And I think ultimately, um, especially when it comes to uh, there being no contradictions in God, that God's intention for the good of creation doesn't change. It's not like um, God's love and care is going to turn to uh, hatred or neglect or anything. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And what does this have to do with our faith? Well, we can trust that no matter what happens, God is always the same and God's intent, good intentions for us always obtain. That will mm -hmm. never change. I think this is such a great way that you're framing this around the unity of God. I mean, not just the profession around monotheism, but the unity within the Godhead and a reminder in there, I think as well, that whatever we attribute to one one of these persons in the creed, we attribute to that person because of our experience, but that those attributes are shared by all three folks there. You know, I had a knee-jerk reaction in reading this this afternoon because I thought, I don't know that I'm going to be able to say this right, which also means that maybe it's not the best or most peaceful thought. <laughs> but I think maybe I'd feel better about this creed if the order of the pe persons of the Trinity wasn't inverted because it's just by the nature of the way that we have to talk about things in a linear way to be able to talk about them at all. Mm -hmm. um, seems to outline a supremacy to the first person here mm -hmm. by being the first one <laughs> that we discuss. But I could see how easy it is, even the language here of referring to the first person as God. Right. I know as a child, and then I know you know, still in, in teaching Christianity and Sunday school and other contexts, there's still an idea that that first person is the boss man. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, there is, a, at least according to the Cappadocians, and I'm thinking here of Gregory of Nyssa, he does make a significant distinction between the third persons, the three persons, and that's the causal yes. distinction, right? You have the First person being the unbegotten, mm -hmm. the second, the only begotten, and the third. Is that subordinationist? I don't I don't know. Yeah, I don't I mean I, I know that Nissa would say it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, and is gonna describe the first person as source of all of all being and source of the un yeah, as you say, the unbegotten one. And that's of course how I guess the next clauses in that this first portion of the creed describe that first person is the maker of heaven and earth of all that is seen and unseen and then it almost kind of strikes is like oh no i thought the second person was the agent of all creation <laughs> right yeah. but i think is describing the first person as source particularly of all being yeah, yeah. The, the primary causal agent mm -hmm. but of course the the other two are eternally, whether 
whether they're begotten or proceed, it's an eternal procession. So it's never not the case. You know what I mean? Right. So I don't know. It's complicated. It is complicated. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I also have, it's like um, in the Romans passage where we're told that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And then there's that long list of, you know, things that can't separate you. And I think it's just human nature, but my mind starts to go, principalities, what are those? And what are they getting in the way? Instead of the idea of, no, whatever it is, he's trying to cover everything, you know? Uh Um, And I sort of have that reaction, just looking at this first portion of the creed with, you know, maker of heaven and earth of all that is, okay, I'm on board. And then it's like seen and unseen. And I'm like, what is it that I don't know about? (laughs) What's the unseen? Well, we don't know. (laughs) I'm I'm suddenly very, very concerned about the unseen. (laughs) When the affirmation there, right, is that nothing exists without without God's, uh, outside of God's creative capacity. There isn't anything that, uh, God hasn't made, uh, which which should be so affirming and comforting. <laughs> I'm like, but what? But what is it? <laughs> what is it? Yeah, yeah. What do you make of those those next clauses there? So we believe in one God, the Father. I mean, technically, that's a significant statement in relation to the Son, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That uh, God is always the unbegotten because. The unbegotten always has a begotten, but, um, and this goes back to the famous, presumably Arian statement that there was a time when the sun was not and so on. We don't have to go through all that, but, but I think it's also significant for us, you know, what is God's relation to humanity and to creation in general? Mm Mm-hmm. And what I take from that is that it is one like a parent to a child in the best possible sense. Yeah. Love, care, concern, a provider that who ensures the good of creation. And this goes back to the divine intention never changing. Mm. You know, the divine intention for creation is always for the good. And, I think our faith depends on that so much. You know, it's not just that if you think of uh, the ancient Greek conception where creation emanates from God, there's there's no indication that God loves the emanation. Right. Or You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's really important. I know the father language can be problematic and, and yeah. maybe we can talk about that, but I do think it's really important that our conception of God is one of one who cares about us and is concerned about our good. Yeah. I think that's a, a really important point. I appreciate you bringing that up because it is more than just the relationship between this first person and the second person, you know, that right. one's father and one's known as son. That's true. Uh, that's the language we have for that. But to think of not only did God make everything, but God cares about everything, <laughs> that that was right. purposeful and uh, created in loved and sustained by love. Right. 
Right. And when Jesus teaches his disciples to refer to God as parent, I think mm -hmm. that's that's what's behind it. You know, yeah. you, uh, it's also much. a really intimate relationship. Right. I mean, how bold to address the, the almighty, the, the almighty. one who has made everything as, as a parent as in, in literally familiar terms. Right. Yeah. That we should know God as intimately as God knows us or the possibility anyhow there. Yeah. Which is remarkable, as you say. So we believe in one God, the <laughs> father, <laughs> the almighty, um, that there's no greater power to usurp the unchanging will or intention, divine intention. You know, God is not subject to another power so that our faith can be shaken because God might become or do something other than what God always is. Right. And so God's goodness and love will not somehow change to evil or hate. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, in one sense, it can be frightening. I think God Almighty, you know, this omnipotence, but if it's tied with this conception that God cares about us and loves us, then it's in terms of our faith and how we think about God, really important that God is almighty. Yeah. That means, as you say, nothing can thwart God's mission or will. Nothing can stand in God's way, which, yeah, sounds, I think, again, in a more naive look at this as a kind of threatening thing almost like god is all powerful god is almighty and i think of warrior god kind of stuff yeah. rather than nothing can get in god's way and god's way is ultimately love or how i right. understand it uh right. so again yeah beautifully affirming understood that way and then we get to the maker of heaven and earth which i'm kind of surprised they went with that particular word poeta is i think it's poeto maker instead of creator mm. but obviously there's they're not making that kind of distinction so th that god is creator you know when i think about this especially given everything we've said so far that places a lot of responsibility on god if everything that that is we might need to come back to that is created by god then, you know, there's a certain God has responsibility to fulfill the d divine intention for the creation. I mean, I, I bring that up because, you know, there is this tendency to kind of put all the responsibility on us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Especially when you get to the kind of theologies that you know, what I refer to as worm theology, where humans are just terrible and worthless. and um, But we are God's creatures, and ultimately, it's God's responsibility, although we have our role in it, it's God's responsibility to bring to fulfillment what God intends for creation, um, which, again, I think is helpful for faith. Mm. And the other thing here, and, and here I'm bringing some stuff into the picture here that's not explicitly stated, but the idea that that which is created in some sense is a reflection of the nature of the creator. You know, creation mm. is good. Creation is good, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, humanity is created in the divine image. Mm -hmm. 
and that creation has a purpose or telos, mm-hmm. or, um, and that cannot be changed or usurped by some other power. Mm-hmm. It is striking that that affirmation really is stated three times there, right? I mean, mm-hmm. maker of heaven and earth, heaven and earth is everything, right? right. There's not something else. And then more explicitly, of all that all is, that is. <laughs> hey, dum-dum, I'll say it again, right? <laughs> and then, and I mean, the things you see and the things that are unseen. So all the things you know about and the stuff you might find out about later or you'd never know about, but make no mistake, <laughs> absolutely everything has come from God. Yeah. That has being. That has being. And so that's that that little phrase. Nice soft pitch right to you, wasn't it? (laughs) Take it, buddy. (laughs) Of all that is, is a significant statement. Um, Because, and this idea predates Nicaea. The idea is that, well, of course, it goes back to Genesis, that all that God created is good. Mm -hmm. Well, then what about evil? Mm -hmm. And the tradition, at least from the Alexandrian school, and they appropriated this from other places, but the tradition is that evil itself is not a creature of God um, and doesn't actually have entity or being, but it's kind of like a parasite. It, it uh, only can exist in relation to that which is good. And I, this kind of goes back to this idea that there is no power that can uh, usurp uh, the divine intention for creation, because, <clears throat> you know, if you think of, uh, is it Manichae, kind of the dualistic notion that you have right. a good, a good principle and a bad principle, that is not our faith. Right. Evil happens and it's destructive and it's not good. But when it's all said and done, because it has no entity in and of itself, when creation is consummated, evil will be eliminated. Right. And maybe it would help to to make some sense of why it makes sense to say evil doesn't have entity. I mean, if you just think of um, instances of evil, well, the, probably the most clear one is murder. We would consider murder to be evil, but it's not possible without life. But you can think of life without murder. So the destruction of life is evil, but it's... It's parasitic, parasitic in the sense it depends on life in order to happen. Mm-hmm. Most anything we think of as evil, we can think of it in that way that it's somehow feeding off the good, or it, it can only happen in relation of to the good. And so, when you think about the resurrection, when you know death is this evil in relation to life, but then when Christ rises again, then death, uh, that evil is shown to be impotent. Death is defeated. Right. So, I mean, I think it's really important that translation of the creed, I guess I should say, it's a helpful translation in that it says of all that is, because it's kind of saying um, that evil itself, number one, is not part of God's good creation. And the implication being that uh, when the divine intention for creation is fulfilled, evil will no longer exist. Mm hmm. The seen and unseen thing, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> I think it's, I mean, I honestly, I'm reading it in that kind of uh, 
would understand more the Hebrew tradition even, which I know isn't really behind this, except that it's the biblical language of stating something three times, you know, for emphasis. Emphasis. Um, because they really, really to just say maker of heaven and earth should be sufficient, right? right. Yeah. Or to say maker of all that is, all that, that should is. be sufficient. Yeah. <laughs> um, everything seen or unseen, they're all su- sufficient within themselves. And that idea to, you know, this point has to be made. You have to get this, right? So mm-hmm. is refuting, and you say um, Manichaeans, other Gnostic groups, the idea that, you know, some things may come from a good God, some things may come from a bad God, or, uh, uh, you know, for, have some other source. Uh, and so this affirming that there's, it's this one God, so we'll clear up any of those dualistic notions, right? And this God is the almighty, the top God, right? There's no hidden God beyond this. Uh It's again against those early Gnostic schemes, right? And that everything comes from those God, from that God. It doesn't come, there's no secondary source. There's no evil creature within the world who's able to create things. Uh Although it feels that way sometimes because of mosquitoes. (laughs) Uh, uh, but that those are really important affirmations and there's a lot to there's more to unpack there than i see it's may appear at first yeah i was kind of like you when i was first looking at this i was like my goodness what are we going to talk about Uh, but the more I got to, the more I started thinking about it and the implications specifically for our faith and mm-hmm. and lived faith, it really is helpful and informative and makes a difference despite how little information there seems to be here. I think there's a lot. Are there any edits you'd make? Yes. Well, no. I mean, I'm tempted to say instead of, I, like you, I'm a little thrown off with, you know, we believe in one God, the Father. Mm-hmm. Because in my mind, I believe in one God, the Trinity. Right. Um, that's a little bit confusing. And there's a part of me that wants to, and I usually, when I'm speaking just myself, I'd rather say the unbegotten versus the Father. Mm-hmm. But the unbegotten doesn't translate that idea of concern and care. Yeah. That... It's academic rather than personal. Right. I mean, it's, it's absolutely right, but it doesn't say anything about the personality of that God. Yeah. What about or the, you? The intentions maybe is better. Yeah. Yeah, the intention. What about you? I think as I mentioned earlier, I'm kind of curious about sort of inverting it and maybe starting from our experience of God, which probably might not start with the first person. That would be the spirit of the church and the community and that. Yeah. And work I'm, back. I'm a little curious about like what that would look like. And if that might not have some kind of different hold. You guys, I'm not gonna rewrite or or ditch <laughs> the Nicene Creed in any way. Um, on the other hand, if I'm thinking about this first clause as as we've been talking about 
the maker of heaven and earth, the creator of everything, then then we are talking about natural revelation too. the fact that we can see God throughout creation. And maybe that is a first kind of experience. I'm just curious about what it would look like kind of the other way around. And if that couldn't be sort of a useful corrective to what we're talking about with the idea of that one's God (laughs) and then there's Lord and then there's spirit, you know, if inverting the order doesn't uh, kind of conflate the, the primacy there. I mean, to me, it's kind of surprising given the context in which this creed was developed that they would say we believe in one god the father because they're the creed is intended to affirm the trinity right you know the and yet it's uh, at first glance it's misleading as if they're saying the first person is god but of course when we look at the rest of the creed it's clear that uh um, the other two as well yeah i guess you got to keep reading well, that's right. <laughs> yeah, and that'll help. I think that'll help explain when we talk about the second clauses there, you know, why that there's some expansion, you know, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Right. You know, again, the repetitions of of something uh, that could be, could have been stated once, right? What's the yeah. difference between saying God from God and true God from true God, right? Yeah, I do think there are just some foundational assertions being made in these opening lines that are really helpful mm-hmm. but what we've discussed oh i think what you've unpacked is really illuminating to me yeah hopefully it's helpful yeah this is also this little exercise in this conversation that we're having right now is also making me think about kind of praying the creed mm-hmm. you know in a way of really maybe sitting with it in a longer space of kind of Lexio Divina kind of activity to, you know, maybe just take some time with just one of these clauses or one of these phrases and uh, see what's there or what even what questions it brings up, you know, that you might explore with somebody else or, you know, in in future studies, because it is it is packed (laughs) and that's purposeful. Right. Um, And for it to be something that we proclaim and proclaim to believe to to really enter into a heartfelt reflection on that must be important and meaningful hopefully well yeah now that you said that i'm thinking of all kinds of things about union and yeah yeah 